What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Wavelengths, a Final Four preview edition. I'm Stephen Heimers, again joined by Ethan Rose and Theo Backman. March Madness, unfortunately, is down to the final three games. A lot of has transpired this tournament, but we are finally down to four. Gonzaga, UCLA, Baylor, and Houston. I think realistically three of the four we expected to be there. UCLA, nobody saw coming. So, Ethan, I want to ask you first, who's going to be in the national championship Monday night? Well, the easy answer here is obviously Gonzaga and Baylor. I think these two have been on a collision course this entire year. And it's kind of ironic that their game back in, I think it was November, got canceled. And now they're here about to about to play each other. It's kind of funny how that works out, but it works out, but it's going to be Gonzaga and Baylor, unless I don't think UCLA can really put up a fight against Gonzaga. Johnny Juzag has been off the charts. Amazing. But the way Gonzaga runs their offense is just so special and it's so much fun to watch. And on the other side, Baylor, Baylor has been going crazy. Jared Butler, Masio Teague and Davion Mitchell, three players that have just killed at this tournament. And and in also their bench players. Houston's played well, but I just don't – I mean, they've played easy opponents all the way up here. I mean, I, most of us have seen the stat. They've played double-digit teams every single game so far. I doubt they're going to be able to put up a fight against a single-digit team here. So if I had to predict, it's going to be Baylor versus Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Yep, this has been taking me back to December 5th, 2020 when number one Gonzaga was supposed to play number two Baylor. Um, I was so excited for the matchup. I, I set my alarm to get up early in the morning to wake up for the game, two best teams in college basketball. I wake up, and what do I find out? A tweet from John Rothstein. Positive test within the Gonzaga program. The game was canceled, and I was devastated. But about a couple of days later, I was like, hold on, hold on. Maybe this was a good thing because Gonzaga and Baylor are clearly so much better than everyone that maybe if they played on Saturday and if Gonzaga had won the game by 10 or 15 points or Baylor had won significantly, it would have taken all the drama out of the rest of the college basketball season. So I think it was almost a blessing in disguise. Also, ironically, that game was supposed to be at Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, Indiana, where the final four is being played. So a lot of parallels there. And I, at the end of the day, I think I'm kind of happy that game got canceled. And now we can all kind of think about that matchup in our own type of ways. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. And that's that's the beauty of, of this matchup. Before we stray into our next topic, a all too recurring theme on this podcast, I have to make yet another apology. Theo, this one goes out to you. As I posted a few weeks ago, and visibly laughed out loud when you suggested Michigan would lose to LSU. Michigan one-upped your take and was defeated by UCLA, who takes on Gonzaga in the semifinal on Saturday night. So I want to talk about UCLA now. Obviously, they have gone from the play-in game to the Final Four. But you two think that their run is over Saturday night. They're just playing a, a monster, a machine in Gonzaga. The 
the Gonzaga Bulldogs run their offense at an efficiency that's so impressive and it's so hard to be. I mean, they're first in Ken Palm and in, in the offensive category. They're their adjusted defense is also like top five. I don't like, again, UCLA has played great up until this point. They had great finishes with Michigan and Alabama, but in both of those games, you could tell that a lot of their, a lot of a big reason why they won both of the games was kind of due to luck. If we be honest here, I mean, Alabama missed 12 free throws where they were 11 from 23 from the line. Herb Jones missed two big ones right at the end of the game. I mean, they did make the miracle three, but if Herb Jones makes those two, they're up by one and there is no need for the three at that point. Then in Michigan, Michigan misses the last five shots, which is just crazy for a team like that. I mean, Franz Wagner air balls the second to last shot, which was just it was it was a deep three, but it was he was wide open at that point, and he airballs it. So you could definitely make the point that UCLA's wins have been a little bit lucky, but in March you need to have that luck. So it's they've used it well up until this point, but they're facing Gonzaga, and Gonzaga doesn't need luck. Gonzaga has everything at this point. Theo, I want to go to the other game Saturday night. This is pretty close. We got one of the best offenses in the Baylor Bears against the best defense in the Houston Cougars. You like Baylor in this one. So you think that this offense can penetrate the Houston defense better than Houston's defense stopping the Baylor offense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm certainly not going to overlook Houston because that's when you start to overlook uh, teams in this tournament, you start to look foolish, especially around the final four. So I'm not going to over, overlook Houston. Giroux did a very good job on Buddy Beheim in the Sweet 16, but Baylor doesn't just have one or two guys. They have four guards. They have Davion Mitchell, Macy Teague. Um, they just keep going. They just keep bringing guards out. I think it's just going to be impossible for Houston to, to stop all of them from getting hot. Yeah, the guard play from Baylor has been what's propelled them to this incredible season so far. I don't see it stopping Saturday night. I think that Baylor's offense is better than Houston's defense. So I think that will catapult them to the win. But I think that this is going to be one of the better games of the season to, in when it's all said and done. It's just an incredible matchup of the two of the best at what they do. So I think we're going to be in for a real treat Saturday night. Oh, yeah, that hasn't shot well in this tournament, but I think like in Ken Palm, they were a top 10 adjusted offense team throughout the season. So they can score too. Yeah, that game is going to be a bloodbath. Two teams that are absolutely monsters on like the rebounds and steals. They're, it's going to be such a physical game and it's, it's going to be a lot of backyard basketball. It's going to be so much fun to watch just to see the two go at each other like dogs they're they're two bloodthirsty dogs and they're gonna <laughs> and they're coming at each other with everything they got i mean houston houston is will go after every live ball like it's theirs and they will steal everything same with baylor baylor's just crazy davion mitchell knows how to find the basketball and knows what to do with the basketball at every single every single time he has it it's this is going to be such a fun game to watch it just 
pure, pure fighting and pure two dogs going at each other. Yeah, there's going to be plays where there's six or seven guys on the ground. <laughs> and, and Mark Vital and Giroux are going to be right in the center of it. Those are two guys that always find the ball, always make winning plays. I think it's going to be a great game. So when it's all said and done in the semifinal on Saturday, it's likely going to be Gonzaga against Baylor. So that's the first potential championship matchup I want to talk about. Ethan, who would you give the advantage to if it was Gonzaga versus Baylor Monday night? That's a hard thing to choose. They're Both of them are such great teams. And obviously, I think I lean a little bit to Gonzaga, but that doesn't take anything away from what Baylor can do either. Baylor has Baylor's guards are so good and so aggressive that it's going to be hard for Gonzaga to really get started, especially with the three ball. I just don't see any way that they're able to lock up Drew Timmy in the post. He's been so good this entire tournament. And against Evan Mobley, even, he just absolutely destroyed him on when he was on offense it I lean Gonzaga but just because of Drew Timmy and what Drew Timmy has been able to do he's so good in the post and if and if you watch the game versus USC he just every nobody was able to stop him they tried to put everybody on Drew Timmy yet every single time he was able to score and use his post moves to crush in every single way so just because of that I would lean Gonzaga over Baylor but I can still see – I can still definitely see if, if Jared Butler gets hot. If B- Jared Butler gets hot, there's no stopping him. He, they, Baylor could definitely win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what Timmy did against the Mobley, the Mobley brothers on USC was just so mind-boggling. He has no physical advantage in that matchup. They're, they're taller than him. They're more athletic than him. They jump higher than him. And he was just making the right play time after time sealing off sealing off pick and roll to get his guys layups beautifully cutting in the open floor pump faking getting his shots it, it, it was just a basketball master course by drew timmy in that game and like ethan um gonzaga was my uh, original pick before the bracket um i'm gonna stick with them to to be undefeated national champions in indiana i, th- I think they're gonna do it so, Theo, I want to lead with you on this one. If Houston defeats Baylor, how can they beat likely Gonzaga Monday night? Well, um, Quentin Grimes is going to need to score a lot of points. <laughs> a lot of points. But, which he, I mean, he averages 18 points a game. He's capable of that. He might need 36 in order to beat Gonzaga. <laughs> It starts with um. It starts with them being aggressive. If they are able to get under Gonzaga's skin and make them uncomfortable, especially on offense, then they might have a shot. But it starts. It starts with how aggressive they are. If you're able to disrupt the Gonzaga's rhythm, especially on offense, I mean, you have a shot at that point. But it's so hard to do. It comes. It almost comes to the point where when Gonzaga doesn't score. It's weird. We're like with other teams, you know, they score on about two to three out of the time, about two to three out of, out of every possession with Gonzaga. Every time they don't score, it just seems weird and it seems off. It's just so hard to stop. 
Gonzaga's so good, I'm starting to think it might be a flaw because they haven't been in a close game all season. That's that's the only way I see it is um I, I don't if they end up in a close game, they like they haven't been in that situation before. Whereas Houston's played all these close games, UCLA's pulled all these games out. So that's really the only way I see it is if Gonzaga kind of finds himself in a close game and self-destructs. But I, I, I just they're they they play the game too well. They're they're such a perfect team. They make all the right plays. They're a machine. Is there any trepidation for you guys with Mark Few not winning the big one yet, or do you think that this is just the perfect time for Gonzaga to finally get this? metaphorical monkey off their back. I think there's a little bit of a monkey on his chest just be or on his back just because he's never done it before. And he's like one of the highest winning percentage coaches in college basketball history, especially with the amount of players that he's had go through his system. I mean, you've had such great players and, you know, coming short so many times can gets really under you and I think the one time the one the one March Madness that real that Mark Few really looks back to and is almost disappointed with himself is their uh, 2006 loss to UCLA when um when they had uh shoot uh Adam Morrison right Adam Morris yeah when they had Adam Morris and Adam Morris was going crazy and yet Despite that, they lost in such heartbreaking fashion. I think that's the game where Mark Few looks back and kind of regrets a little bit of that. So, if, But if he's able to win this, I mean, he's in conversation with one of the best teams of all time. I mean, an undefeated team, especially in this at this point in time within the COVID era, that's got to be so hard to do. Uh, I mean, we've seen a, a bunch of other teams fail after coming back from COVID pauses. Gonzaga has... Gonzaga has come back better after their COVID pause. It's crazy. I think if Mark Few is able to win this and pull this out, he will go down as one of the greatest coaches in college basketball history. Yeah, Few, I mean, he got Gonzaga to the national championship in 2017. They came up a couple plays short of beating North Carolina. But watching this team play, I can't help but think, if this year's Gonzaga team played the 2017 Gonzaga team, they'd, they'd run them out of the gym. Like this year's team is is so good. I you just can't say it enough. I've loved everything I've seen from them. So I, I, I'm not sure how much pressure Mark Few feels right now, knowing how good his team is. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting aspect to what you brought up before Theo. Gonzaga hasn't been in very many close games so I want to see how they can close out a potential closer game in the final 10 minutes or so. And then add that with – Mark Few definitely knows he's never won one. If he were to be asked, he, he knows. It, he's not going to lie about it. So adding that with this team not being put in these pressure situations, I want to see if they can bust or if they're able to be – the best team that they've been all season and finish off this undefeated 2020-2021. So I think that them being in a close game now is something that they're ready for, and it just hasn't happened yet. So I think that they would be able to still come out on top should they be in a shootout 
in either Saturday's game or Monday night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the narrative's obviously on few, but none of these other coaches have ever won it before either. I like Kelvin Sampson, I think, made a final floor with Oklahoma, but uh, Scott Drew's been at Baylor for a while and like never been in a moment this big. Mick Cronin's been around at Cincinnati and UCLA for a while. So it's an like all of these coaches are veterans that haven't had an opportunity like this before. So I, I'm, I'm excited for all the coaches. I'm glad that they, they've all been around and earned this opportunity. Yeah. And if you really dive deep into each of these coaches, it's, it's very interesting to look at their past and how they've actually gotten here. You look at Kelvin Sampson and back in 2017, when Jordan Poole hits the magical three pointer to put them over to put Michigan over them. That was heartbreaking because it looked like they were about to upseed the number three Michigan team. But then, of course, Jordan Poole comes and takes that away from them. Then you look at Scott Drew and where he's come from, you know, taking the Valspario team uh, back when he was a, an assistant coach and then, you know, leading them to a uh, final four appearance and then taking on the Baylor team who was coming up a, a huge scandal within their system and yet not caring and coming to the team and rebuilding it from where, from where, from what it was. It's each of these coaches have come and done some remarkable things uh, in their programs. And I'm kind of glad that this is, these are the four coaches besides Jawan Howard. I would have liked to see Jawan Howard be here as well, but see these four coaches come and do what they come and like succeed in the way that they have. It's so impressive. And it's so uh, inspiring in a way. Of the four teams that are left, is there a player that we haven't heard much about this tournament, but you think will have an impact on either the semifinal or the final? I have to go with back to Gonzaga. I would have to go with Joel Ayayi. He is, a, especially if they play Baylor, he is such a good defensive guard and he's so good at rebounding. And I think he's going to be the pre he's going to be a remarkable presence on that court for Gonzaga that day. Cause he's, he has something that a lot of the other players in Gonzaga don't have. He has this aggression and this ability to go after loose balls whenever he wants compared to like the other players on Gonzaga who are bona fide shooters and scorers. Joel I, I is a, is a really good scorer, but he's also so good at finding the loose ball. And especially if they play Baylor, that's going to be so useful for them down the stretch against that team. And I love Matthew Mayer on Baylor. He's becoming more of a household name now with his mullet taking over March Madness. But he's been at Baylor for three years. He's never started a game. And yeah, I think he might be their most important player because he fills in in all types of all types of roles. Um, 40% of his threes plays defense. You saw that sequence where he, he made the steal and just threw a ridiculous pass up the court, perfectly placed for, for Butler running down the court. He just makes a lot of big plays within the game. So I, I, was, I would go with Matthew Mayer. I think that if it's Gonzaga, Baylor, that this game is going to come down to the bench players and the, the guys we don't know about, like you guys just kind of touched on because the superstars on Baylor are going to obviously match up with the superstars on Gonzaga and not neutralize them, but they're going to take them out as much as they can. So this is going to really be a team effort, whoever wins it all. So I think even there's going to be someone that we haven't really talked about 
the first couple weeks of the tournament, but come Monday night, we're going to say blank is the reason why they won instead of one of these guys we've been hearing about all season long. Mm -hmm. One of these bench guys are going to step up in the clutch time and perform hugely. I think that's a simple enough thing to say, because both these, all these teams run pretty deep with their rosters. I think out of like the past, out of all, out of all the past tournaments and all the past final four teams, we can look at these four group of teams and see just how deep they are with their rosters. It's really impressive just how they've built their team up from the ground up. So now with four teams left, I want to ask you first, Theo, what are a couple of the moments that have happened so far in March Madness that you will remember years down the line? Um, obviously, Oral Roberts, huge upset. Um, I was rooting for Oral Roberts that whole game. I love the energy they came out with immediately. Um, it was just like a couple, like just some little things, like the guy going up yelling, and one, he's too little. Like I was just hearing some sound effects on my TV. I was like, that team came to play. Like they're not going to back down. They're going to give Ohio State everything they have. And then O'Banner and Max Eastmas jumped into our hearts made an amazing sweet 16 run, almost made it even further. So that's a run um, that I won't forget for a while. Um, and I'll never, I'll never forget rooting for Oral Roberts through, again for that Ohio State game. Oh yeah, that Oral, Oral Roberts team will, just like Dunk City back in the day, because Dunk City really got me into college basketball. Oral, Oral Roberts will be in that same light. I, such a, such a interesting and wonderful Cinderella team to work root for. And they, and they had a great offensive game plan too. I mean, Ax, uh, Amos had, was playing so good down the stretch. It was so disappointing to see them come up short, but I'm glad that they made this run. For me, I got to go back to Ethan Thompson uh, and his run with Oregon State. You know, we share the same name, so we share a lot of similarities mm-hmm. in that aspect. But I, it was so cool watching the Oregon State Beavers, you know, getting ranked last to finish last in the Pac-12. And then all of a sudden being one of the last teams in the Pac-12 left in the tournament. It's so it was such a great storyline. And Ethan Thompson played so well down the stretch. And he was so much fun to watch in, in the clutch. I mean, some of the shots he was making in order to keep his team ahead were so impressive. And I can't help but just remember. I will always remember this Oregon State team for what it was. And maybe this is just because I had Gonzaga and Baylor in the finals of my bracket, but I kind of have enjoyed just watching them annihilate all of their opponents. Just the level of basketball both those teams are playing at has been very fun to watch. Uh, the, the last team I saw like that was the most recent Villanova team that won. Um, they, they also just destroyed everyone. And although those tournaments aren't always the most fun, you always remember those teams. An aspect to this tournament I will forever remember is for as chalk as the Final Four is, with Gonzaga being the number one overall team, Baylor being a one seed, Houston a two, and then UCLA being the outlier as an 11, it's been full of upsets. You wouldn't be able to tell that from the Final Four, But this has been an unpredictable tournament. And after the layoff last year, it was something we all desperately missed. And just March Madness being back 
and the excitement from game one, Virginia Tech, Florida going to overtime. It, it's a tournament unlike any other in sports. And a player I won't forget, which I'm surprised you didn't bring up, Ethan, was Buddy Beheim and his three-point shooting out of the universe. Obviously, their last game, he didn't do as well as the first couple. But just the shooting and going from, like we had said before, the coach's son to a real three-point threat for Syracuse and obviously taking them from an 11 and moving on a couple rounds, I think his performance will not be forgotten in the, in not for a while. Oh yeah, definitely. And Buddy Bayheim's performance, 30 points his first game, 25 points the second game, his three point shooting against West Virginia, just put them over the top. That game was that, that game probably is my favorite of the tournament so far besides Oral Roberts versus Ohio state. I have to say my Probably my second favorite is Syracuse versus West Virginia. That game was so much fun to watch. Both teams going back and forth the entire way. And I am just bringing up Houston versus Syracuse. Houston came up with an amazing game plan against Buddy Beheim, limiting his shots, limiting the three-point ability, limiting the three-point shots. It was super special how they were able to stop the Syracuse Oranges and Syracuse Orange and stop the three-point ability of Buddy Beheim. In a year plus of unpredictability, college basketball lived up to that and then some. So yes, it is sad that the tournament's coming to an end, but I think this will definitely go down as one of the better ones for sure. I think we will eat, unless UCLA wins, which from what we've been discussing the past half hour or so, none of us see happening. So but that's March Madness. What, when you least expect it, is that, that's when it gets you. So unless they win it, Baylor, Gonzaga, Houston, three of the dominant teams the entire season, wire to wire. So we will get a true national champion. Obviously, we all like the upsets, but sometimes you have to bite the bullet and realize that the best team is going to win. So I think that in a year, we didn't know what was going to happen. College basketball really gave us what we sorely missed, like I said before. And we're going to get a real champion. And I think that's something that we're all very excited for. It's so impressive how this tournament played out. After the VCU versus Oregon cancellation, I was so worried about COVID stuff and that the tournament would be like some teams would get unnecessary wins especially like like if Gonzaga somehow got COVID or something like that. I was so worried that something crazy like that would happen. But thankfully, like nothing bad happened. And besides the VCU versus Oregon, the tournament played out really nicely and everything really came together. It was a fun tournament and it definitely one that I'll remember, especially not having a tournament last year. It was something that I think, like you said, Stephen, we all really needed after – a long, long break. The last thing I did want to bring up before I let you guys go is update everybody on our sports wave bracket challenge. And we have the leader in the clubhouse here, Theo Backman at an 85.5%. Ethan, you're at 53.7. I don't want to talk about mine at all. (laughs) You two still have the champions in. 
Theo, it looks like you're gonna win it. So, see, man, I just want to ask. I just want to ask you one question before we keep going. Uh, you had uh, Missouri beating Gonzaga earlier in the tournament. You still good with that decision? Uh, two weeks ago was a long time ago. <laughs> um, I was a lot different back then. Also, what the people don't know, I had Maryland going very, very far. I didn't want to say that in public or anything. I told you guys that. But that was that was something I did. Um, I, I can't go back now. I'm at 8%. I, if it would have worked, it would have been really cool. But yep. <laughs> Io and Illinois decided, you know, we don't want him to win. We'll just let him talk about <laughs> it. So... Theo, I'm going to give you your red carpet. How does it feel three games left being the leader in the clubhouse? Oh, it feels, feels quite good. Um, just, just went with my gut. Um, try, mixed it up a little bit. I had LSU and Oklahoma State in my final four, which obviously didn't work out, but most people didn't have UCLA, UCLA winning their region, and most people had Illinois coming out of that region. So I got a little bit lucky there. Um, and then, I mean, I, I've been all over Gonzaga and Baylor all year. So when that bracket came out, I wasn't picking anything else besides Gonzaga versus Baylor and Gonzaga over Baylor. So just went with my gut, played out surprisingly well, and now I'm sitting in a good position. And not for anything, I obviously talked about my flaws before Theo. I did pretty well round one. I only got a couple of games wrong. It was... The second, the second round, and then after that, a lot of teams I had were gone. But round one, I, I was sitting pretty. Yeah, I had a, the first Saturday was one of one of my best days I had. I think I, I, I lost the I think the first game might have been the Illinois game, and I started zero and one or something, and then I won thirteen like thirteen games in a row. What all went my way. Um, <laughs> that was that was one of the best March Madness days I've had. Is Every game was coming out of the last minute, and somehow they're all going my way. Houston somehow beat Rutgers. Uh, I don't know. But someone must have said some extra prayers for me that night. <laughs> if you look back, if Rutgers beats Houston in that game, I mean, Rutgers had a shot to beat Houston there. I mean, what could have happened if Rutgers actually won that game? So the, we could have seen Oregon State maybe in the final four. That yeah. <laughs> Before I let you guys go, Saturday, Saturday night, Monday night, is there anything that we need to know that can change the way that these games are played and could potentially lead to a result we're not expecting? Um, Mick Cronin's dad, Hep, might have a hex over the entire NCAA. <laughs> he just keeps showing up and they put him in camera the entire on camera the entire time every game and UCLA seems to win every time so I'm a little bit worried if there's some type of black magic some dark arts at work there um, oh yeah oh yeah that that could be that I could easily see that being a huge problem for Gonzaga down the stretch even I mean <laughs> That I think that could easily play a role into in this tournament. On the other side, you look at Baylor. I mean, this team has come from so much. 
it's going to be interesting to see how they come down the stretch. The last thing I did want to leave everybody with was a big thank you to Ethan and Theo for joining me the whole tournament. I had a lot of fun talking to you guys about it, breaking it all down. We will be back on Monday night with what could be our largest in attendance podcast right after the national championship. Yeah, we're going to be recapping the uh, UCLA versus Houston national championship (laughs) game. Yep. Yes, the Mick Cronin and potential witchcraft versus the Houston Houston Cougars. This has been a lot of fun doing this with you guys. It's been an awesome tournament to watch. A big thanks to the NCAA for once actually doing something <laughs> right. So it's unfortunate that it's almost over, but we still have three more games. So everyone, I want you to really enjoy them. Because as we found out last year, we don't know, you know, next year's not for sure. So just really enjoy them. Have a lot of fun. That That's it. Uh, thank you guys for joining me. Like I said, we'll be back on Monday. We'll break it all down. Maybe a Mick Cronin upset special on the menu for <laughs> Monday night, but we'll just have to wait and see. We'll see. Go Bulldogs. Yep. So once again, thanks, Theo. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you guys very soon.